This is Andy Malinsky, and you're listening to Radio Free Leader. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Berkus, best-selling author, speaker, and business school professor. And each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with outstanding thinkers and incredible doers. All of these interviews are designed to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date. Make sure you never miss an interview by joining our community. You can sign up at davidberkuscom slash podcast. Click on any of the episodes and there's signups right there or straight at davidberkus.com. You can also, if you're listening on your smartphone and you're in the United States, just text the word radio free to 33444. We'll send you some amazing resources that we can't really share in audio format on the podcast, including the Radio Free Leader Starter Kit. This is a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox. So again, to get all of that, just go to davidberkuscom slash podcast or text Radio Free, all one word, to 33444. Now let's get started with this week's interview. So who are you and what do you do? I'm Andy Malinsky. I'm a professor at uh, Brandeis University's International Business School, and I've got a joint appointment in the psychology department. And uh, my new book is called Reach, uh, and it's about acting outside your comfort zone, why it's hard to do, how we avoid doing it, and then how you can be more successful at it. Oh, you might have just mapped out the entire structure of our conversation right there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, so I mean, this is the this is honestly a book that I think uh, a lot of people have been waiting for. In other words, there's a lot of like you know Facebook memes and it, pretty pictures and and quotes about stepping outside your comfort zone and all of that kind of stuff. There is not a, an evidence based case for it until now with Reach. I mean, we've sort of it's one of those things that it's not all that counterintuitive we've always known it's important but now we have enough sort of research to make the case of like no this is why it's such a big deal yeah that was my goal it's funny when i when i started this project it emerged out of my previous book which was about which is called global dexterity and that was about acting outside your cultural comfort zone and i got such feedback and that was in 2013 i got such feedback that the ideas in that book were really more really more universal frankly you know that 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 people were starting to use even that book to try to understand how to step outside their comfort zone in general so i started i just started poking around i started of course reflecting on my own experience but poking around and when i went to the internet which you know is guess the first place we poke around in 2017 is you know I'm, you see those memes that you're talking about the you know the the circle of your comfort zone and then a circle farther away about where the magic happens. That's or, that's actually the exact one I was picturing when I was describing that. Well exactly. done. Exactly. <laughs> that's it's all over the place. Or you've got like you know keep calm and get out of your comfort zone. Or many of them say you know life begins only outside your comfort zone and so on. And you know they're or or take the leap. You know people jumping off bridges and you know mountains and so on. And of course, whenever I look at or fish jumping out of fish bowls, and whenever I look at these, maybe it's my realist nature that I'm like wondering if they're actually going to make it. <laughs> but I, but I think that that actually, you know, the 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 wonder in these memes, in a sense of whether they're going to make it, is that sort of is like a a bit of a um, instinct I had about whether people are in life are going to make it when they look at these sort of inspirational messages and say, yeah, I'm going to go do it. 
and then they go try it and fall flat. And I figured, you know, I, I realized that there wasn't a good way of understanding, um, you know, the challenges, how we avoid, and then how to do it more successfully. Certainly, there's scattered evidence and ideas about it across various, uh, you know, parts of the scientific landscape and so on. But I really wanted to put it to, together in a user-friendly way that people can just pick up the book and and really have something to work with. So. Yeah, well, and you have, and you've done exactly that. Let's um, let's dive in a little bit to uh, some of the ideas in the book. First, I mean, you you actually did set up kind of a brilliant map for our conversation. But first, I mean, let these memes wouldn't exist if people weren't so comfortable in their comfort zone. I guess that's a weird way to put it. We wouldn't we wouldn't have a comfort zone unless we were comfortable, right? Like we as humans just like staying put and like being on our status quo of what we're sort of used to. Of course, we know uh, the, the memes are true. There is no real growth there. But why is it that we choose that? Why is it that we choose comfort over any growth or achievement? I think that, I mean, I th- there's probably variability across people on that. You know, there's some people are real risk takers. Some people are very open to experience and so on. And I think there are probably personality differences on it. But you know, I think that people, I think that stepping outside your comfort zone is, is, is I imagine, you know, and I definitely know for myself, we could talk about that, you know, and that, of course, is the irony of writing this book. You know, you, you might think that I'm like such a great expert personally on stepping outside my comfort zone, and I'm definitely not. I'm, I mean, I struggle just as much or more than everyone else does. But I think it's scary to step outside your comfort zone. It's, it, you know, it, it creates all sorts of anxieties and fears and people I mean, who who wants who wants to do that, right? You you want to we 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 craft out, we carve out comfort zones for ourselves and our lives, our personal lives, our work lives, and so on. And you know, it feels it feels comfortable. It's the absence of anxiety and fear, and you know, and that's that. I think we nestle in. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a good point. That like you know, you wrote the book, or at least a book on stepping outside your comfort zone, and we're still all kind of afflicted with this uh, bias. You you can't escape it. Now, I mean, there is like you mentioned the personality dimension of openness to experience, but in general, even the people that sort of know the importance of stepping outside their comfort zone are still afflicted with the bias toward same and toward comfort. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that as we could talk about, there's, I found a series of, I called them psychological roadblocks. And that's sort of based on my own research, others research and so on about, you know, very specific reasons that it's, um, I guess you could say self-threatening in a, in a basic way to step outside your comfort zone, your, to, 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 to reach, uh, to, to do something, to step into a role, to try a task, uh, to, 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 um, to move on in your life into something that's really the unknown. And I think that those, those anxieties, oftentimes the anticipation of them pulls us back. Yeah. I mean, you, you outline a couple different challenges, a couple different reasons for why, um, we, we like this so much or, or for the fear of what we get when we take that leap. Um, my, so there's, there's a couple different ones, authentic, authenticity, likability, competence. You mentioned a bunch of them, but, um, the, the one that I found the most interesting, and maybe this is just my personality was the likability one, right? Like I don't, I don't want to grow because people might not like who I turn into, which is, I, I would have expected the majority of reasons fall in the competence one. But when I read that, I was like, that actually, I've never thought about it that way. That makes a lot of sense. It is. It's interesting. I, um, I found evidence of all of these. Uh, so, so authenticity is the idea that, you know, that 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 
this this new version of me when I'm stepping into this role or this situation. And just to be concrete, actually, maybe we can talk about just a few of the just quickly put on the table. You know, I'm talking about things like there's a wide range of things that would be outside your comfort zone. It could be it could be as simple as I am terrified of making small talk with people I don't know, or I am. I am so scared to walk into that big networking event and hobnob with people and maybe even have to pitch and promote myself or give that speech or speak up at that meeting or assert myself in that way or say no to a friend or deliver difficult news, et cetera. So these are the kinds of sort of everyday, I call them like everyday situations of courage, you know, everyday courage in some ways. So yeah, people can feel inauthentic stepping into a role that doesn't feel like it's them. Uh, they can feel incompetent. You know that that they feel that they're not good at it, and that they're that the fact that they're not good is kind of visible and obvious. And then you're right, the likability challenge, the idea that people won't like this version of me um, if if I if I if I if I um, act in this way. I, there's a story from the book, um, and it was one of the most poignant stories I heard. I have to say, just because it resonated with me. There's a uh, there was a woman. Uh, her name was Annie Harris, and she um, she had uh, she worked in a um, wealth management firm. And uh, she, she, when she met high net worth clients, she had to go with a portfolio manager, sort of the protocol. And that guy just demeaned her in front of all these clients and these client meetings. She didn't listen to her. She would prep him about the importance. Let's say a certain client cared a lot about taxes. And, and so this guy, Rick, the portfolio manager would say, oh, yeah, 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 I get it. And then in the meeting itself, he would basically ignore it make fun of her, demean her, and so on. And it got to a point, I mean, even early on, where she just couldn't take it anymore. And she had to tell him off. She had to say something, but she she couldn't do it. I mean, eventually she did. She got the courage, uh, but she couldn't do it. And one of the, I was shocked that one of the core reasons was likability. She was afraid that, she was afraid that he would hate her if she said this, when of course he's the hateable one. So uh, I don't know. It really struck me. And I'll say one more thing about this is, uh, I, 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 so I teach uh, and train people with, with, with my book. And just the other day in class, I, I had my students um, uh, write down what their most common challenges was. It wasn't a scientific exercise. It was just a random assortment of 45 students. But likability was right up there at the top. thought that was really interesting. Hmm. Yes. I mean, it's interesting. I would have thought, uh, as I said earlier, that competence would have been the bigger domain. I mean, it, what's funny is, I guess it stands to, I really look at both of these as, you know, there's there's that um, research that shows that people make judgments about us based on warmth and competence, right? So to some extent, that's kind of likability and competence. But yeah, I, it's it's amazing to me that that, I mean, maybe in high school, I could I, I sort of understood that as a big thing. And then when I'm reading this book, I'm realizing like, you're right, even even grownups, even fully grown secure people are still sort of worried about that idea. And unfortunately, still have to deal with situations like the one you just described. I, I think a lot of people probably um, still though have this competence fear, this idea that going out of my comfort zone means I'm not good at what I'm about to learn. No question. I think th sometimes I feel that the uh, authenticity, competence combo, like the combination is what creates what a lot of people refer to as the imposter syndrome. The idea that, you know, people step into a new situation and feel like I am such a poser in this situation. Like I, in, in my, my, my incompetence and inauthenticity inauthent is going to be exposed and I'm going to look like a total fool. I thought it was so interesting when I started doing research for this book, I found that the number one fear of CEOs, uh, and this is, this is actually pretty solid research. Um, 
is not, you know, foreign competition or, you know, like the typical things we would think of or, you know, like industry competition and whatever, the economy. Um, it, it's their own feelings of being an imposter. So, you know, it's not just it's not just the little guys. It's it's the, it's the people at the top who feel this as well. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting. So, I mean, how do how do we uh, how do we begin to step o- away from this? How do we begin to kind of take that reach? I mean, I suppose each of these arguments kind of sets a tone for um, sets a tone for what your path will look like. But I mean, it, it, you actually talk about this in the second chapter. It kind of starts with coming to terms with just how much we like avoiding anything that makes us uncomfortable. Exactly, and that's. Uh, I think that I think that that's exactly right. Uh, it's, it's coming to terms, number one, with what the sort of psychological roadblocks are, authenticity, likability, competence, and there are other ones too. And, and, and when you do that, it, that, that's actually a key piece because oftentimes when these people step into situations or they even think about their situation, there's just sort of this vague sense that this is uncomfortable for me or overwhelming or whatever it might be. But when you can start to have language language to, to make sense of your experience and talk about it, that actually makes it feel just a little bit more in control. And the same thing goes with the avoidance. I, and, I, and so in the book, I talk about various uh, techniques we use. I think a lot of them are unconscious, but some of them are probably quite conscious to avoid uh, you know, there that the you know some people uh, you know avoid something entirely. Other people make a substitution. So they might like let's say you're afraid of uh, in-person networking. It just is simply so awkward and uncomfortable for you. But let's say you're a small business owner and it's actually really critical for you to be able to learn to do that. So you might avoid that situation by telling yourself, you know what, I'll just send out a blast email instead. Or I'll post on Facebook or something like that, which is, you know, it's not unreasonable, but in, in, in essence, it's really actually avoiding the situation that, that probably would bring value to you and your business. You know, we procrastinate. We do all sorts of things uh, to avoid. And I think that the, I think oftentimes the more, more autonomy we have in our jobs, uh, especially as you go up the chain and the fewer people supervising what you're doing, I think you have even more power to sort of almost like dysfunctionally craft your work. Hmm. <laughs> so in essence, you dysfunctionally craft your work. So you have much, a much greater, you know, that explains kind of, to me, that explains every, almost every complaint about incompetent managers I think I've ever heard from employees. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, it's true. Yeah. So maybe it's not the Peter principle. Maybe it's like the the uh, the Molinsky principle, right? That <laughs> the more autonomy you get over your job, the more you tend to avoid the things that uh, that make you uncomfortable. Um, you know, I thought one of the things I thought was really interesting is you then sort of map out this roadmap for how do we step outside of it. And as as I kind of hinted to earlier, there is uh, a sense of depending on what your reason for wanting to be comfortable is, that'll shape your plan for um, growing and being uncomfortable. But it you actually started with sort of the conviction. You started with the why, if we can steal a Simon Sinek term, right? Um, and I, I I get it. Like, I think it's, it's funny to me. We see a lot of these plans like this is why... <laughs> This might be why all of those performance appraisal systems in a lot of companies don't actually work where they lay out a personal development plan for the next year, but they never actually deal with the conviction piece of why you need to grow in these areas. Yeah, there's no question. I remember a, I remember a, a German manager I work with uh, a while back was so taken by the American expression of whiffum, 
you know, what's in it for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't mean that from an instrumental way. I mean that from a deep personal, you know, way, like what is in it for me to step, we talked earlier about the comfort of a comfort zone, right? You know, and the discomfort of, a, of, of being outside your comfort zone, what is in it for you? Like what, when every bone in your body, psychologically speaking, I guess that's a weird metaphor, <laughs> but uh, you know, every bone in your body is telling you no. What is going to push you to to go forward? And you know, and, and it's that deep sense of purpose, um, in, almost like an antidote to avoidance. So, it, of course, it doesn't erase the discomfort. It just enables you to. It gives you that motivation or drive or sense of purpose to take action despite the discomfort. So, for some people, it might be, you know. I I want to I want to grow and develop and and become a manager. It's really important to me to move up in my career. That's 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 connected to core values I have. And I realize that this task is something I need to be able to get better at in order to achieve that purpose. Or for someone else it might be um I I care deeply about helping others. That that that's part of my personal core mission. And I know that this task of whatever it might be going door to door or whatever, you know, or, or, or having conflictual conversations with people who hold different attitudes towards things. than I do is, is, is going to be hard, but in order for me to achieve this goal that I care about, I've got to be able to do that. So I, th- I think it's, it's very personal, of course, what your source of conviction is, but, but, but having one, I think is essential for, for, uh, for, for being able to act outside your comfort zone. Hmm. So, um, real quick, just a side production note, and we'll edit this out afterwards. I think you're hitting the cable on your headset, or you're, you're touching your headset, or something. But I keep getting a lot of noise, like it's being bumped as you're talking. Ah, got it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, and we'll edit out as many as we can from now. But I wanted, I, I wanted, like, before we do, before we go further, let me, let me, let's try and yep. minimize. Cool. Um, that new microphone's going to be awesome for you. I'm just kidding. I know. I'm just going <laughs> to uh, hold on a sec. I'm going to. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I sensed it. It's, it's, um, it's kind of coming right out from the earpiece and every time I move my head, it moves. Oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. So I'll, I'll stay still. <laughs> no I mean, it's weird because on the one hand, the movement makes your voice sound more active and engaged, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it's a, it's a catch 22. Okay. No, no, I got it. I'll, I'll work on it. Yeah, cool. So it. let's, all right. So it's also not enough to just have that kind of conviction. I really liked that. I mean, we, we talk a little bit, we already hinted at the importance of sort of customization, but it's also important to have sort of real clarity on what deliberate actions are you going to take? What, I mean, to some extent, I wonder if clarity also means like what, uh, what spots are you still going to stay in your comfort zone on and you're just going to be clear about this one? Like it's not enough to just be uncomfortable for uncomfort's sake. Because I think as that goes back to conviction too. But you, you have a whole chapter on this idea that it's not enough to just have conviction. The clarity over what are you going to do, what does this development plan look like for you is hugely important as well. Yeah, I think that in uh, situations outside our comfort zones, I think we can often fall off you know, the psychological deep end. You know, Anxiety and fear can draw us in very irrational directions. It can cause us to you know, I guess the word would be catastrophize to look at the absolute worst situation. We could start to fixate on some un- unrealistic, ideal, perfect situation, you know, that I'm that I'm not going to do this unless I'm, you know, a prodigy and so on. That would be the sort of ideal situation. I think that I think really having an even handed, sober, I don't know, normal sense of 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 the of the challenges you're going to encounter uh um 
uh, of the fact that that you know what this is, that I'm learning to do this and that that um that I don't have to be perfect. That for instance, if you're learning to give a speak, let's say you're learning to speak in public, and it's it's pretty terrifying for you as it is for many people. You know, instead of you know cascading between oh my god, I'm never going to do this unless I'm just perfect at it, and oh my gosh, I'm never going to do this because I'm an utter total failure and I'm going to embarrass myself. A more a perspective that's more even handed and clear would be something like, you know, I'm, you know, my first time speaking, probably, you know, I'm probably not going to be Tony Robbins, but, uh, but you know what, I'll probably be a little bit better than I think I'll get through it. I'll learn a ton. And next time I'll probably be even that much little bit better, you know, something, something like that. I think that, I think that in these high anxiety situations, it's, it's very easy to, to sort of fluctuate and clarity can give a bit of an anchor uh, to, to help us. And that, that's, that's what I talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, to some extent, again, we come back to this fear of not being competent and kind of the, the importance of, you know, what Carol Dweck would call a fixed versus a growth mindset, right? Like the, the little meme on Facebook that says all the magic happens outside your comfort zone. It's kind of lying because the reality is that what happens for the first few go rounds, if not for the first few years is being terrible at something and then eventually getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And you have to kind of have that right mentality, that proper mindset that, that this incompetence is in the service of a greater competence down the road. Yeah, there's, there's no question about that. And, and I also find that, um, I find that one very powerful technique for achieving this. Um, and we hinted at it earlier with customization, but I'd, I'd love to just spend a second on that because I think it's really important um, I think a lot of people, when they're outside their comfort zone, feel powerless, uh, and I think that the or helpless even. And I think that the anticipation of feeling helpless and powerless also keeps people in their comfort zones. And so, um, what I found people doing who were successful across professions, across contexts, was that they were able to make these. I don't know, minor but meaningful little tweaks, little personalizations in the ways that they acted in certain situations. So they would, I don't know, um, they would wear that power suit to the uh, situation where they had to be more assertive, like Annie Harris, I told you earlier, she'd wear a power suit. No one else knew it, but she did. She'd carry her lucky charm. She would walk back and forth in the hallway before walking into Rick Smith's office in sort of a power pose type I don't know, physical um, manifestation of her growing confidence. She would, um, you know, there are various things you can do. For, I, I'll tell you a great example I just heard the other day of a student. I have a student who's terrified of making small talk in social situations. And she's decided to customize by bringing a selfie stick uh, to social situations. So she brings a selfie stick and that immediately breaks the ice. She before would be the person sitting in the corner not talking to anyone but now she's the person with a selfie stick and it's awesome because she she engages people she gets their emails or i know it's probably not emails these days what is it like snapchat or facebook or something (laughs) insta Insta face snap the gram whatever it is now yeah exactly but it's amazing how that little prop catalyzes the situation increases her confidence, makes her feel powerful or a little bit more powerful, certainly not helpless. And so I think that in combination with that um, learning mindset that you talked about earlier ends up being pretty powerful combination. Do you, do you think to some extent it, it's not just the um, 
it's not just the the token, the the uh, you know the power device, etc. But it's also this idea of kind of breaking down, breaking it all down into its component parts. Like so, terrified of social interaction per se, but that means that like having to strike up a conversation from nothing is a big deal. The smaller gap is like if the selfie stick is already in your hand, then the first thing you're going to talk about is settled for you. Is is some of it actually that just figuring out okay, what's the first step, and how can I sort of default to already being on that first step. Yeah, no question. It's almost like being an actor without a script versus an actor with a script or an actor with a prop or something. You know, it's like you need to have like for someone who's un- someone who's very socially skilled can walk into a situation and pretty much talk about anything. Right. You probably know people like that, you know, who can just sort of like talk about anything with anybody. But someone who's not that good at it needs a little bit of a needs a little bit of scaffolding. You know, they need a little bit of help. But then once that in that that little bit of help, like in the form of a selfie stick. And by the way, that's something that she brought. It was her idea. So that comes from her, which is really powerful. But even that little bit, that can be a tipping point for people that can tip you right into a a, a more comfortable, confident situation versus, you know, um, having a failed social interaction, which then confirms her prior view of herself, which is, I stink at this, right? And then that's a self-confirmation situation, which then, you know, essentially brings her to the corner of the couch, you know, staring into her drink. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So it's important to note, if you're listening, the selfie stick is not a magical cure-all. It's, no. it's, not, it's an example. Don't, don't, don't run out to buy that. You got, you got to find something that is, that is sort of your own thing. You know, you said something really interesting there, which is um, when she reviews the interaction, which I think is one of the biggest reasons why uh, stepping outside your comfort zone and then reflecting back on what happened makes it so likely that we want to avoid doing that to begin with. It's kind of this um, self-assessment idea. Like when we look at interactions, when we look at whatever that that thing is that we're un- uncomfortable with, when we look back on it, we can easily call it a failure because of some sort of thing. So to some extent, is this also changing how we're going to judge an interaction? So if we're going to, if I'm, if I'm going to abuse the selfie stick analogy, right? If, if the goal is to have a brilliant, engaging, charismatic conversation with another person, then yes, I'm going to walk away from that interaction and most likely call it. If the goal is like, I'm just trying to get one picture snapped with somebody and make a new friend, then I've changed kind of how I'm going to evaluate the interaction beforehand, set it up beforehand. Is, is, is I feel like that's a lot of what's going on here too, is as you're stepping out into those activities choosing how you're going to evaluate them ahead of time and doing them in a way that could give like a, to steal from Teresa Immobile, like a small win is also a hugely important aspect of this. Yeah, no question. You know, walking into a networking event and a lot of people, a lot of people are uncomfortable at networking events because it's a double whammy of small talk plus self-promotion, right? And so if you walk into a networking event, think that you have to sort of like own the room, you're, you're probably setting yourself up for failure unless you're, you know, super experienced, super savvy and super comfortable. But if you walk into a networking event and say, my goal here is to make one meaningful connection with one person that I can follow up with, you know what I mean? Like give yourself reasonable, reasonable, doable goals, you know, in any situation, I think it's, you know, I think you are setting yourself up for the small win. And I think small wins are really important in this because it's all, it's a cyclical process. Small wins generate, um, sort of like little added increments of confidence, which then push you towards approaching the situation again versus avoiding it. Avoiding the situation is really the death knell of acting outside your comfort zone. You want to push yourself towards approaching. Hmm. No, I think that 
that is a huge, uh, a huge aspect of it. You also, um, in the book, and I love that this was a part of it too, you talk about the importance of sort of solidifying this as a habit, right? So not a one-off thing like, oh, that went kind of well, but as you're starting to gain momentum, really building this into a habit um, process so that it, so that it sticks. And, and thankfully, you know, we avoid this sort of like, oh, it's 21 days or whatever magical number of days it is, et cetera. Um, but you really dive into a lot of what it takes to solidify something as that. Interestingly enough, and I wasn't expecting this, starting with resilience and the importance of really building resilience into your, uh, I guess, mentality as you're approaching this process. Yeah, I think that's really critical. And I think resilience is a good word for it because because I think in, in I think we can, these are vulnerable situations, right? These are situations where sort of our, our self, our core aspect of ourself is we're putting ourselves on the line. And you could so easily fall into a, in a, in, into a very sort of bad negative place. And so having the resilience to, to push on in the face of obstacles, to have a sort of clear expectation about what reasonable goals are, like you talked about before, um, you know, goals that you can meet and then to feel a little, you know, good about yourself in some way and then to push on. I think that's really critical. So I do talk about various resources that are critical for resilience, the having a learning orientation, finding mentoring. You don't necessarily have to find a mentor, but a mentoring to, to set up a practice routine, um, you know, in a way that enables you, again, to capitalize on small wins, to put yourself, if anyone out there has kids, you're probably familiar with the idea of a just right book for your child. You know, um, you, know you don't want to overwhelm your child with a book that's way above his or her reading level. You can tell I have kids. Uh, and uh, in, 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 in a sense, choose just right situations for yourself to practice in. You're, you're afraid of networking. Don't go to that massive 1,000-person, super high-intense pressure networking event. Go to a smaller one and build up your skills and confidence and so on. So there's a variety of techniques to build resilience, but I think it's a critical asset when you're stepping outside your comfort zone. Can we dive into that mentor ring con- uh, concept a little bit more? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I just think that it, this is just this is just my own instinct, I guess, from you know from my career um, and from my read of the mentor in literature is that I find that um, a lot of people um, uh, think that you need to find a mentor, and people talk all the time about the characteristics of a great mentor and all the benefits that come from a great mentor. There's but about think- as many memes on Facebook about that as there are comfort zones. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I have to I have to tell you, I think that's I think I actually think that it's at least for me, it's been a little discouraging to look at that because I've, I've always looked at that and thought to myself, oh, darn, I don't have one of those, you know, <laughs> like but but I think that. I think you can do just as well finding mentoring from a variety of people, right? You can get mentoring advice, mentoring from various people. It doesn't all have to be aggregated into that, you know, Dumbledore, I guess Harry Potter, Dumbledore-esque character, that wise, amazing, supportive mentor that sort of brings you through. I mean, very few people have that. And But I don't think you should be discouraged if you don't because you can you can sort of actively – craft mentoring from your network. Hmm. No, I think that's really, really good. So as we kind of draw to um, a a close, uh, one of the interesting things, uh, probably the most unexpected thing uh, I found in the whole book um, is that you open with, again, this sort of, we poked fun into this entire time. You open with the meme about the magic happening outside your comfort zone. And then at the end you end with like, actually that's kind of a myth. The magic can happen inside your comfort zone as well, which sort of speaks to this uh, uh, having a balanced approach to your own development process. 
Yeah, I think that I actually end the book with a bunch of myths because I felt... Well, that was the one that surprised me the most. Let me put it that way. Right. No, no, no. No, absolutely. I mean, I think I, I felt compelled to debunk, in, at least in my own way, a bunch of myths out there about comfort zones. But yeah, I think that, you know, I think that um, if we felt that we had to step outside our comfort zone in every situation possible, I think we would go insane. I think we would be continually disappointed in ourselves. And I think for good reason, because we'd probably struggle in a lot of situations. I think that I think there are certain times and circumstances when you actually want to stay in your comfort zone. I think that if you think of the situations that we have in our lives, think of all the situations you have almost like a portfolio of stocks and bonds that you have in your 401k. You know, certain stocks and bonds you have in certain areas, certain in others, the same thing is true with um, comfort zones and situations. You might have certain situations where you're stretching, certain situations where you're thinking about stretching, and certain situations where, you know what, for right now, I think this is where I need to be. Um, so, you know, certain points in time, you just might not have it in you. I'll give you an example from my own life. I um, So I'm, you know, we both are academics, and, uh, and, and I think both of us have kind of ventured in some ways beyond academics as well. But I remember early on, and I want to speak for you, but early on in my career, when I was going for tenure, um, I, I was also quite interested in speaking to a very general audience, because that's the whole reason I went into academia, not to write papers that no one would read, but <laughs> even though I've written a bunch of those, uh, <laughs> but uh, but to, to speak to, to the world, to really try to make a difference in people's lives. Um, and I was, and I really wanted to do that, but but early on in my career, I was struggling to get tenure, which is a very stressful, difficult process. I had two little kids, a newborn and a y very young child, and and you know, I was presented with opportunities that were certainly outside my comfort zone. But I just simply didn't have it in me. I couldn't possibly do that stretch at that point in time. So the right thing I think at that point in time for, was for me to stay inside my comfort zone with an eye towards the future when I would venture out. You know, which is now in, in the past maybe five to ten years. So that's an example. But I, does that answer your question? I, I it does. I uh, I reject your assertion. My mom has read every academic paper. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's very impressive. No, I mean, it's what's funny is I actually I hear you, but the other way. So those that uh, that are listening that are familiar with sort of my story, professordom is my accidental career. Like the the goal for me was always to be speaking to the outside world, to be as I like to say, to make good ideas easier to apply, right? Um, and then, but I learned that same thing of like, oh, I actually need to spend some time, you know, I, I try and carve enough time in my comfort zone, but I actually need to spend some time learning this weird foreign world of, of academia, which itself is sort of wrought with its own. I mean, the irony is you and I, uh, we, we both teach organizational behavior and what everybody always says is like, uh, oh, um, you know, you're not working in a business, you work in an ivory tower, like, trust me, the organizational dysfunction here is a masterclass on, <laughs> on organizational behavior. It's a different monologue altogether. We don't necessarily have time for it. But but it really resonates with that idea of like, it, I think everyone at a certain point is going to find that whatever their goals are, there is a time where they have to choose to deliberately be in their comfort zone and deliberately be out of their comfort zone. And so just advancing this sort of false dichotomy between um, it's always negative to stay in your comfort zone and it's always positive to go outside of it is it really is not an accurate picture of what people need to really advance themselves and their careers. I would fully agree with that. Um, and I think that's, that's, uh, it's important for people to know because I think people can be really discouraged when they when they in a, when they see, see see sort of you know pro, sort of very general proclamations like that and so i think it's important to 
to be a debunker. And so that's that's part of my <laughs> part of my mission. Well, the the book, um, which could have been called Debunker, um, the 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 book is Reach: A New Strategy to Help You Step Outside Your Comfort Zone, Rise to the Challenge, and Build Confidence. Andy, um, you you know what's coming next. I want to switch a bit from the book and talk about you in the time we have left. Ask you a few questions. The first being, what's the best advice you've ever received? I guess the best advice I've ever received. Um, was you know it's probably advice that it, this this is now going to sound like a very uh, sort of common piece of advice but it was important to me um and it was from my dad who gave me career advice early on which was to really follow my nose follow my interests not not um choose a career or a path based on you know what i thought i should be doing um, where I thought I could make the most money and so on, but to really try to follow my interests and go kind of like bottom up as opposed to top down. And, you know, it's, I've, I've crafted a, what I love is in terms of a career, really interesting job and set of responsibilities and platform and so on. Um, and it, I think ultimately really emanated from that advice. So I I guess I gotta, gotta credit my dad on that one. Mm, Love it. What's an ideal work day look like for you? Ideal work day. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I would say an ideal work day would be a, a, a nice long walk with my dog in the morning, which, by the way, I would say is where I get most of my very best ideas. Um, although not today, since it's a snowstorm where I am, but, you know, on most other days. Um, so a long walk with my dog, um, some work in the morning where I'm writing, ideally. Uh, w- with her, you know, basically in a quiet house with no one else there. And then going into work in the afternoon, continuing my work, but having my door open for talking, you know, if people have any issues or want to talk about, you know, various activities around the university um, and so on. But but to really have that uh, quiet time to write in the morning and to think and, 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 and to make sure I have that before I sort of go off into the world. I would say that's an ideal day. Mm. What are you reading right now? Um, I read, uh, what am I reading right now? Hmm. I think about that. Well, I guess, I guess I'm a, I'm a pretty avid reader of, uh, the news. I would say, uh, I'm not reading any book right now, but I read a lot of blogs, a lot of journals, a lot of news. I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I know people listening out there probably aren't going to be happy with this, but I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, New England Patriots fan. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm reading a lot about the, uh, recent Super Bowl and, uh, and, uh, and about the plans for next year and so on. I'm a major Boston sports fan. So, you know, a lot of, I would say a lot of news, a lot of business news and a lot of sports stuff. That's, that's kind of where I sink in right now. Mm. So here's the hard one. What do you believe that most people don't? What do I believe that most people don't? I don't know if most people believe this, but I, I think that there is this idea, maybe less so now, that you know that 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 the that you know the the best and most appropriate way of working is to walk into an office, sit down, uh, log in your hours, do your work, sit in front of the computer, and um, and you know go, go off on your way. I, I have always found that, in, at least in my world and in my field, which is really a field of ideas, that you know I might get an idea one day walking my dog on a long, hour-long walk, 
and that idea might be worth 30 days of sitting at my desk. So I, I sort of believe that I believe that um, that work and, and inspiration and creativity can happen in very, very unlikely places in unlikely times. And so as a result, I try to craft my day in my life to increase the odds of these sort of unconventional um, epiphanies, <laughs> I would say. I don't know, you know, nowadays, I think probably more people believe that than was true in the past. But I, I'll, I'll put myself as an early believer of that, an early believer. <laughs> an early. OK, I love it. Love it. So our, our final question, the title of the show is Radio Free Leader. In your view, what makes someone a leader? I think that, you know, this, I think so many things um, uh are important for, 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 for leadership. And, and, you know, there's a massive literature on leadership and so on. Um, I guess just building on my own very sort of intimate recent experiences uh, in my own life, in the organizations that I affiliate with, that I work with and that I affiliate with, I think having a vision um, for, for having a real vision, like, like where we, what, what our aspiration as an organization, what we could become, that vision. Um, and of course, you need a strategic set of um, operational activities to realize the vision. But the vision, I think that that is, that is just the, the real task of a leader. And I think so many leaders fall flat on that. Mm, and it's really hard. It's really hard. Yeah, great, great advice. Great advice. A great final thought. The book again, Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise up to the challenges, and build confidence. The person, Andy Malinsky. Andy, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. I really enjoyed it. Thank, thanks so much for having me.